0: Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones.
1: Building in Faith You and I have a propensity to want to base our standing with God on our good works. That's part of our fallen nature part of our fallen nature is constantly wanting to fill the credit list up, put some things to our credit so that we feel like we could stand better with God.
0: Reaching up high, with arms open wide, we see you're changing our lives. The Bible teaches that all men have fallen short of God's glory and have broken His laws. However, because of our sinful nature, we in our pride try to work our way back into a right standing with the Lord. Unfortunately, no matter how hard we work, we'll always miss the mark. In today's message, Pastor Ed reminds us of the powerful truth of the sufficiency of Christ. When the Lord died on the cross for our sins, He paid a debt that we could never pay back. Therefore, our only work is to believe in the finished work of Jesus. And here's Pastor Ed with today's message, Rejoicing in the Lord.
1: In, faith. in verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is giving them a command. Rejoice in in the Lord. Joy isn't always something that you feel, but it is something that you can do. Paul is saying, rejoice, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the difficulties, no matter what you may be going through. Set your mind to praising the Lord. Not necessarily because the circumstances you find yourself in are good. Sometimes they're not. You don't rejoice because of the bad things come, or the trials that come necessarily, you rejoice because of God's presence in the midst of those things, because of the strength that he may give you, because of the work that he may be doing in your life. But it says, rejoice, here's the qualifier in the Bible, in the Lord. So there's some rejoicing that isn't of the Lord. Uh, You know, you rejoice at uh, the new big screen television set that you just put on your credit card. That's not rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is centering around the person of Jesus Christ. It's centering around your delight in his word and your love for him. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. He repeats, he repeats, he repeats himself. It's okay to have some repetition because that's how we learn. And so Paul knew that it was a safeguard hearing the old, old story again. It's like a beautiful piece of art. The more you study that piece of art, the more beauty you see in it. It's like a beautiful piece of music. Something that maybe Beethoven, some uh, Mozart, someone performed and The more you hear it, the more you appreciate the beauty, the intricacy, uh, the greatness of that. That's the way it is with the gospel. You never tire of hearing the greatest love story ever told. And so he tells us it's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, it's a safeguard for you. We are prone to wander. We are prone sometimes to leave the God we love. And there are always cults. There are always extremes within the church uh, that want to get people off center, onto the left or to the right, or slowing down in their Christian faith. And Paul uses some very strong words. I mean, It doesn't come across to us the way it did to a New Testament reader. In fact, it's coarse. When he says, watch out for those dogs, it's a derogatory term. Dogs in those days were like scavengers that roamed the streets and ate the scraps. They were like packs of wolves. People didn't have dogs as pets. So he he calls these Jewish people who behind closed doors would look at a Gentile and say, there's a dog for you. Well, he calls these Judaizers who were trying to put all sorts of legalistic laws on people's shoulders and saying, listen, to be a good Christian, you have to follow Old Testament law. To be a good Christian, you have to follow the dietary law in the book of Leviticus. To be a good Christian, you have to keep uh, these Jewish holidays, and on and on, the list went, and Paul says, no, these people are dogs, they're scavengers, trying to rip the church of Jesus Christ apart. In Paul's day, it was Judaizers. In our days, there's all sorts of side groups that come in to try and lead people astray and get them caught up into things that are not the central thing, which is serving our Lord and living for Christ, He says, those men who do evil, now they wouldn't see it as evil, but he calls it evil. Their work resulted in alienating people from the true, pure gospel. And so they considered their work something that uh, was good. But Paul said, no, it's an evil work because it's putting a hindrance between them and God. He goes on to say, uh, those mutilators of the flesh, they practiced and taught people to be circumcised, and he calls them mutilators of flesh. What a harsh term. He's saying those people who were mutilated couldn't serve in the temple. They couldn't worship. They couldn't be priests. They couldn't do any of those things. He was saying that they're disqualifying people by their actions. So Paul is really hitting very hard. Now watch with me verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. Paul wants us to recognize that it's not the outward sign of physical circumcision. It's the inward sign of a pure heart that the Holy Spirit has transformed. God is always looking at the heart. He's always looking at the the inside. I was reading something about um, Switzerland in a town called Basel. Uh, They have a celebration similar, similar to Mardi Gras. But what the people do is they commit all sorts of deplorable sins, but they wear masks on that day. Well, the Salvation Army, when they celebrate that particular celebration, has signs all through the city. God sees behind the mask. We can't put mask on with God. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And so Paul is saying the most important thing is to have the inner circumcision of our hearts. And then Paul goes on, to says, We who worship by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit in us who produces that desire to praise and worship the Lord, who glory in Christ Jesus. We don't boast in our good works. We don't boast in our accomplishments. We glory in what Jesus did for us on Calvary. That's what we sing about. The old song, the old rugged cross. We glory in Christ's work. Not in the work of our hands, but in the work of his hands, hanging on the cross for us. And so Paul goes on and he says, Who put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh in the flesh. Paul the Apostle is going to give us his testimony. It's beneath this text. It's in this text. It's the backdrop for this text. Religion is man trying to do something for God. Salvation is God doing something for man. The old preacher, the radio Bible preacher James Vernon McGee said, there are only two kinds of religion in the world you can list every ism every cult, every religion in Southern California under one category they all say do, do, do only Christianity says done Christ has done it all you and I have a propensity to want to base our standing with God on our good works. That's part of our fallen nature. Part of our fallen nature is constantly wanting to fill the credit list up, put some things to our credit so that we feel like we could stand better with God. God wants us to wipe that all away. Because our standing in his presence is based on one thing and one thing alone, the cross of Jesus Christ, the precious blood that was shed for us from the time we are saved throughout our spiritual journey, from the first day to the last day, from the beginning to the end, our one basis of standing before God is what Jesus did on the cross. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't do good works, but those good works do not qualify us to enter God's heaven. Now, our good works do follow us, and the Bible tells us we'll be judged by our faithfulness, but we should never, ever, and it's easy to mix it up where we begin to think, Lord, look what I've done. Now, Paul had to give up to gain. He had to give up to gain, and he had to give up self-righteousness in verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to read the end part of 3. And who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, the way Paul goes about arguing at this moment, it sounds like he's arguing to perhaps converts to Judaism who converted to Christianity, or perhaps Gentiles who had converted to Christianity and then embraced Judaism, and now were infiltrating the church at uh, Philippi. The reason I say that is because, as Paul argues, he begins arguing his heritage. He says, I have more reason to be confident than they do. Watch him as he talks about his natural advantages, the advantages that birth gave him. In verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. That was in its strict observance to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. What he was saying was his parents followed Old Testament law. They were Jewish and they circumcised him on the eighth day. Paul was saying he is an insider. He wasn't somebody who was converted into Judaism, but he was Jewish way back in all, throughout his heritage, and his parents strictly followed the law. He was no late-life convert. And then he says the people of Israel. That's another way of saying that he was pure Jewish. He was a pure Israelite. Uh, we might say, that person's of blue blood. Well, he could trace his ancestry back one generation after another, after another. Uh, he was no proselyte from paganism. He was really an insider from birth. Uh, then the people of Israel, look at the term, the people of Israel in the text. What he's again saying, he was pure. Then the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. Was the only one of Jacob's sons that was born in the promised land. When Solomon died and the kingdom of Israel split between the southern and the northern part, Benjamin remained faithful to the house of David and was included in the lot of land. Uh, the very first king came from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, and, and Paul's was named after Saul. So he looked at his spiritual lineage and said, I am a Benjamite. And then he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What that is saying is, even though he was born outside of Jerusalem, he never lost the mother tongue. He could speak Hebrew, read Hebrew, and pray Hebrew. He knew Aramaic, and he knew Greek. He knew the various languages, but he was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. Now, all of these things were things that were given to him by birth. And so he's going to add to that list his accomplishments. He says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. There were about 6,000 Pharisees, Josephus tells us, at the time of Christ. They were lay people who studied the word. They were the most respected group of people in the nation. And he made a choice to be a Pharisee. That means separated ones. He separated himself to follow the Old Testament, to follow the law of God. And it, it goes beyond that. As he looks at these personal achievements, it says that as for Zeal persecuting the church, he was zealous. He wanted to stamp out any heresy, anything that in any way would distort the truth of Scripture. He was zealous. And then he says, righteous and blameless. He said, for legalistic righteousness, faultless. What he's saying there is the Old Testament took the Ten Commandments and these Pharisees made 613 laws out of the Ten Commandments. Paul was faultless. He observed them to a T. He crossed his T's. He dotted his I's. He did everything. You know, Paul had reason to think, I've done it. He was, I mean, super religious. He was a high achiever. Our children learn from childhood that they need to be achievers. They're taught that. You know, you could be in the early grades and you learn if you get the best marks, you'll be the teacher's favorite. If you're first in the race, you'll be picked on the sports team. If you're the most athletic... And, and, and we grow up with this idea of success means praise and favor and honor. And we transfer that into the spiritual realm. And there in the spiritual realm, we think, if I could work harder than so-and-so, and if I could give more and be more faithful than so-and-so, I'm going to have favor with God well, that's not how the kingdom works. I remember as a, as a young person growing up in the Catholic Church and witnessing to someone who was sharing the gospel with me on Nostrum Avenue. I was waiting for a bus. They came up and shared a gospel track, and, and they began to tell me. And they said, oh, no, I said, I'm a good Catholic. What I had done is I had gone the communion. I had taken my confirmation I went to confession regularly. And even when I didn't know I did anything wrong, I would make up sins because I figured I must do something wrong. And so I'd estimate. Ah, I went to Catholic school. I studied the catechism. And they even made me a patrol guard, you know, so I was watching the streets. So I felt, listen, I've done this thing here. The danger is I began to trust and believe that I did certain things, and that would give me favor with God as a Catholic. And, you know, especially, and I'm not trying to put down any particular church, but there were so many things, at least for me, that distracted me and turned my eyes off of Jesus onto other things. And you you miss the truth of the gospel that's there. And I didn't know the Lord. But, you know, the same thing can happen in the assemblies of God. Here in our church, roll back the decades, go into the 70s, and in our youth group, one of the young people stood up and gave a testimony that shocked some of the young people that were attending. One of the young people that was attending was newly saved and he looked with admiration on this one particular young man. His father was a deacon and his mother was involved in church, and this young man was involved in church, and they were faithful. In fact, one time when they had a terrible snowstorm, they were one of the few families that came out, and they had picked this young man up who was recently saved, and he, he was amazed at this family, and he was amazed at his friend, because they were there when no one else was at the church, and Pastor Damian has said, listen, We're not going to have service today. There's been a terrible snowstorm, and so we're not having service. But this young man was on the very first Bible quiz team that they had, and he had memorized the scriptures, and he knew the word of God well, and he was involved as involved could be. But one youth meeting, he stood up and gave a testimony. He said, you know, I've come to discover Abba Father. I never saw God as Abba. I always saw him as a taskmaster or someone who required these things of me. And he said, I've just gotten saved. And wow, it's wonderful. It's possible. I know that shocks you, but it's possible to go and grow up in church and trust in your good works your church attendance, your giving, your Bible reading, and all of those things are good things to do. But you begin to base your relationship with God on the standing of those things rather than the cross. I often go back to John Wesley, one of my favorite characters or men in church history. John Wesley came from a Christian home, and I mean a Christian home. His father was a minister, and his grandfather was a minister in the Anglican church, and his great-grandfather was a minister in the Anglican church. And on his mother's side, her father, and I believe her grandfather, were ministers, and they were... Uh, In other words, they weren't with the Anglican church. They were more outside the church, but yet they were ministers. John Wesley went to Oxford and started the Holy Club because he wanted people to read the Bible and pray and live a holy life. And then he came to America, to Georgia, to work with the Indians to convert them. And he was unsuccessful with that. And going back across the Atlantic to England, they came into a terrible storm. And some people had an uncanny sense of peace when everybody was in fear of losing their life. And, and Wesley was afraid. And he began to talk to these Christians who were called Moravian brethren. And they began to share with him about the new birth. And at that moment, Wesley began to realize that something was missing in his life. And when he got back to England, he went to a church where they were reading the preface to a commentary on the book of Romans at Aldersgate. And he realized that it's faith in Christ, not his heritage not his prayers, and in his own diary. He talks about being converted at that moment. Today, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people gathered together, worshiping God on a Sunday morning. And some of them are preaching in pulpits, singing in choirs, sitting in pews, but they don't know Jesus. It takes a personal relationship with God. Faith in him. You have a constant danger that you're going to have to battle with from here to the grave. That battle is trusting in your good works. Trusting in your church attendance. Trusting in things that you do and things that you haven't done. Paul was very concerned that you had to give up to gain. Are there things that you're trusting in, in terms of your relationship with God? Well, Paul talks about the change that transpired in him. We'll look at the biblical text. and As we look at the biblical text, we see how he gains Christ's righteousness, how he gains the righteousness of Christ.
0: Thank you, Pastor Ed, for that uplifting teaching. Philippians is filled with wisdom for life today, and Paul gives us such practical direction for shining the light of Christ into a world that is lost in darkness. We hope that today's message was encouraging to you and helped to build you up in your faith. Maybe as you were listening, you thought of someone else who would love the encouragement from this message as well. So please feel free to share today's teaching with your friends and family. You can find this message and many others from Pastor Ed online at buildinginfaithradio.com. If you're in the Poughkeepsie, New York area, we'd love to see you at Faith Assembly. Come on over on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. for a faith-filled time of worship and learning together. Or stop by on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for a deeper time of study into the Word. You can learn more at that same website, buildinginfaithradio.com. If you have other questions, prayer requests, or would simply like more information about the life-changing love of Jesus, please call us at 845-462-5955. We'd love to share with you. We're so glad you joined us today. We'd like you to know that we're praying for you as you go through your day and ask that you be praying for the mission of Building in Faith, that many people would be drawn closer to Jesus. Tune in again as we continue in Philippians, right here on Building in Faith. Your Word